0: Hey, welcome everyone to the Reflex Blues Show. I'm your host Donovan Beery and I have with me from Los Angeles. I assume assume you're still in L.A. there.
1: Oh, yes. Permanently now.
0: Permanently. (laughs) All right. Ad ad and graphic design legend Archie Boston. Archie, how are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Uh, It's nice and cool in L.A. So compared to Florida, this is fantastic. I love it here.
0: I am pretty sure Nebraska right now is about like Florida is. It's it's like 100 <laughs> degrees every day for the last couple of weeks, and it's it's about 90 plus percent humidity. It's just it's it's unbearable.
1: I've been through it for years. <laughs> I'm from Florida, so I know all about it.
0: <laughs> oh geez, okay. Well, how long have you been in? How long have you been in L.A.?
1: I've been in L.A. since 1961. In fact, I came out here to uh, attend Shinnard Institute following my brother who uh, was here. I had two brothers who were here. So I joined them after high school to uh, go to art school. What
0: what was it that got you into art school? Like like what was the thing where you said, hey, because because I mean, when I went, I won't even when I went to school, and it wasn't necessarily a known thing. It was still a smaller profession. I'm assuming back in the '60s, it was a very small profession.
1: It was. It, in fact, it was called commercial art, and we didn't really switch over to uh, graphic design until I think it was like the late '50s. So even in the 60s when I was going to school, they were calling it commercial art. And that was like a bad word. So we didn't want to use that, but every time you talk to someone outside of the profession, they would say, oh yeah. I say, what is your major? Graphic design. And they said, what is that? Then I say commercial art. Then they know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah.
0: When when was it that it switched over to graphic design like as far as like talking to people and then actually understanding it that weren't in the profession?
1: I think it was like in the mid fifties, but it didn't really catch on until the sixties. And I think when I was in school in in the sixties, it really caught on and graphic design was like really the profession and everybody understood it.
0: So back to my original question, what was it that made you think like, Hey, I'm going to
1: go to go to commercial art art for school. Yeah. Uh, Well, I I was always a student who (laughs) was a little bit mischievous, but. I could always do artwork. So uh, a lot of times when I was in elementary school, I used to draw and a few times, you know, I got caught drawing new pictures and (laughs) passing (laughs) it on to my friend in exchange for (laughs) uh, whatever. But I was excused from classes to, to decorate the bulletin board of the teachers. So throughout my elementary, middle school and high school, everybody looked at me as the artist, and I looked at myself as the artist. But I wanted to be a fine artist, not a graphic designer. So my focus was on fine arts, I used to paint different images. And if you notice in my book, if you have seen it, uh, a lot of my early work were paintings that I kind of some I copied some I did originally, but I, I really thought I wanted to become a painter. And after high school, I came out here, my brother Brad was also a graphic designer, and he quit school after two years and went to work for Capitol Records. So Brad was my idol, so I had him to sort of look to for advice. And uh, he came to Chenard. I, I followed him to Chenard, and uh, he stayed for two years and got a job at Capitol Records. I wanted to stay for two years to get a job somewhere, so I prepared my portfolio to to go to get a job, and I didn't care about graduating or anything. I just wanted to get a job and make some money like he was doing. He had a nice car, 49 Pontiac. And I I really thought, oh, I want to be like him, Capitol Records, working on album covers and all those things. And he doesn't even he didn't even finish school. I can do that. So during my sophomore year, I decided, in fact, once I started my first year I was into fine arts, but second year I decided I don't think I'm going to make can make a living as a a fine artist, so I'm going to do what my brother Brad did. I'm going to switch to graphic design. So I did make the switch, but the first two years were foundation courses, so you really didn't have to decide. But when I decided on graphic design, I started building a portfolio. And by the time that I finished my sophomore year, I had a portfolio that I took around to different places and people wanted to hire me. So I thought I'm done, I'm, I'm ready to leave. And Brad told me, no, you're not. You are going to finish school and you're going to get your degree. And I said, why? He said, because you don't need to work. I needed to work. I needed to pay the rent, but you don't have to pay the rent. You can live with me. So I decided to uh, finish school and I did. I really owe Brad a lot because uh, if it wasn't for him, I don't know what I would have done. When I started school, I didn't have enough money to pay the tuition. so. I got a National Defense student loan for the first two years. And then my work was so good when I applied for a scholarship, I received a Walt Disney scholarship for the last two years. So my student loan wasn't really that much, but I really felt like, okay, I made it through. I graduated with honors, so now time to go into design. But then I thought, I don't think so. I know design like the back of my hand. Every night, my brother used to come in my room and, and make me do work over again before I showed it to my teachers. So I can't. I, I want to do something different. I, yeah, I you, want so to, you,
0: had, you had a critique before every critique.
1: Uh, oh, for geez. Two years. <laughs> oh, man. And, and his, his, his comment was it would be 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. He wouldn't tell me. He just said, I don't like it. Do it over. But he never told me what specifically was wrong with my design. So I, you know, admired him and his sensitivity. So I, I did it over, but that helped because after doing the work, I, my work was the best in the class. So, you know, I started to resent him because I thought I know what I'm doing. So why are you coming in my room when I'm, And then I, I started to show him things that really wasn't my assignments, you know, and he would <laughs> critique that. And then I would take the other work and take it and show it the critique. So I think I was starting to move on into my own direction. And I think that is very important. So after I graduated, I applied to, I thought I didn't want to go into design because I had been working with him off and on for two years. And I thought, Well, a lot of you guys might not like this, but I thought design was boring. And I I just felt like I don't wanna design logos and and brochures, especially brochures. And back then annual reports, it takes forever to do it. So I just decided to, I'm gonna go into advertising. I want to be an art director work in an advertising agencies, do ads, do commercials, and my work will be on TV. That's what I want to do. So I applied for an agency job and I, I got it. And I started off as a junior art director and the first year, but then, you know, I, it was during the Vietnam War. So I really had to be careful because after you graduated, then you were drafted into the military. Sure. So I, I decided to join the National Guard. And when I joined the National Guard, I knew that, and I started attending meetings during my senior year. So I knew that they would call me up for active duty after I graduated, but I thought I want to work first. So I went to work for this advertising agency, Hickson and Jorgensen, and I was recommended to that agency by an art director at Chiat Day, which was the agency that I wanted to work for, but they didn't have an opening. So he said, I got a friend, Don Kapp, who's an art director. So why don't you go and see him? And sure enough, when he saw me, he liked my work and he said, okay, I want you to see my creative director. The creative director saw my work. And at the time I was an African-American, so you know, it wasn't. It wasn't like every day you would hire a black in a major advertising agency to work on major accounts. So yeah, what what year was this, Archie? This was 1965. Oh, okay, sure. When I was hired, uh, the creative director, uh, Lynn Pilly, told me, "Hey, I don't give a damn what they think. You know, I'm going to hire you anyway because you're talented, and I want you to work with." the great art directors. So I was hired as a junior art director and I worked with art directors and then a lot of the jobs that I worked on were jobs that the art directors didn't want to work on. So they would give it to the juniors and then I would try to do a better job than them so I could be promoted to art director. So I eventually got a chance to work with a copywriter. But in the agency, uh, you have to sort of work yourself up, you know. A copywriter didn't want to work with juniors, they wanted to work with the senior art director. So sure. they they would assign me to what we used to call a hack art director, a hack writer, a writer who <laughs> who could write with, with no imagination. And I'm okay. thinking, why put me with them? I should be with somebody I can learn from. So I work with these writers and And I thought I could write better than them, I could write a headline look at this crap, you know, (laughs) so they uh, so I eventually started working with them and then three weeks after I started working. I was called to active duty for six months, I was so distraught I had to go in and tell my creative director that I would be leaving to active duty so he said well you know we'll save a place for you, so I was called to active duty and I was on active duty for six months. And then I went back to the agency and I worked at the agency for about a year and a half. But I think during that time, I was trying to avoid Vietnam, but in 1965, here in LA, the Watts riot started. So here I am (laughs) in the military in the Watts riot, trying to avoid the <laughs> Vietnam war. So that was really traumatic. <laughs> also, you know, in the military, I could tell you about, I really thought about you know staying in it, but then I thought about the chain of command and how rigid it was. I, I thought I could fit into it, but then I thought, well, I don't want to do this. But then I had a friend who was a Lieutenant and he kept telling me, Archie, you know, come on. Why don't you go to OCS and become an officer? I have, we have a photo department. We have a magazine that you can work on and, and then you can be the art director of that magazine. And I thought, that sounds good. I can spend my, we had to spend seven years in the military uh, as your obligation, which is one weekend a month for, and two weeks, week weekend of, uh, two weeks of summer camp. So I said, okay, that sounds good. So I think somewhere during that time between 1965 and 67, while I was working, I went to officer candidate school (laughs) and uh, got a commission in uh, 1977 as a second Lieutenant. As soon as I received my commission, I talked to my friend who was then a, a first Lieutenant and he was saying, oh, I'm in this company and I really want you to come and help me. But then when I checked, the position was not there for the photo officer. So here I was in this position and didn't say, well, but you're going to be assigned to another unit. And I said, what? They said a tank platoon leader. Oh, that's know. that's not, yeah, that's not even close. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know anything about tanks, but you don't have to worry about it. You're an officer, you can learn on the job. <laughs> All you have to do is just concentrate on the first sergeant you know? And then after that, I felt betrayed. So I thought, well, in 1972, when I finish this, I'm out of here. I'm not going to try to go through that for retirement. I'm out of the military. But in the meantime, (laughs) back to graphic design. Okay. In 1960, I left the advertising agency in 1966 because they lost a big account. And when you lose account, (laughs) there are cuts. So I came in one day and saw that they had laid off half of the staff, but I was one of the few that they kept. And I thought, oh, there's no security here. I better get out of here. So a few, a year before that, my brother Brad had started his design studio and I was working freelance with him. So I thought, well, let me join Brad and and we can go with Boston and Boston. So that is how our design firm Boston and Boston came about. And when we worked together, you know, it was like we had been working for together for years. But when we got together, we thought, okay, here we are, two black guys, you know, in Los Angeles trying to to get work, you know, in a white society. So we just decided that we wanted to make noise. We didn't want to just sort of ease in and become a production person and then do handouts like paste-ups and airbrushing and all that. We wanted to design. We wanted to to meet with clients. We wanted to do the work that, that had merit because at that time people were, we had an art director's club and we had a, a, a building awards and we had a lot of award competitions. And in school, when I read art direction and CA and all of these magazines, I really wanted my work in those magazines because that was the top so i wanted to reach to the top so we ended up work in the local competition my my brother and i was winning awards before i got out of school but it was mostly the conceptual part that i worked on him with but he was the one that put the design together and a few of them he let me but i i just thought i wanted to win awards i wanted to get involved so i joined the art directors club and uh started working with the president and and they gave me an assignment and I thought, oh boy, this is my chance. But the assignment they gave me was something that nobody else wanted. and That was to design the exhibit because there was a lot of work to be done. And I I'm thought, sure. this is great. You know? So I took on the task and, and I worked really hard and it worked out very good. So the next time I was moved up to the program chairman, to the vice president, to the first vice president, and eventually over the years to president of the club. And uh, I had some ideas that I wanted to, to, to use at the time, which was start a job referral program, speakers bureau to try to spread the word about our profession, because I didn't think that it was done and then try to uh, make, do a news release, but, but trying to publicize the club locally, you know, which helped a lot. But that is what I did during my first term. I then, after working with Brad for two years, I decided that I'm bored. (laughs) I don't like this freelance. I don't like going out, uh, seeing clients and clients turning you down, uh, going to advertising agencies and they're saying, buddy, you're on the top of my freelance list. And then you never receive a job. Uh, Usually I found out that the people that make you promises, are not the ones who come through but usually it's the ones who will look at your work and say i like it i'll get back to you that's where we got our work from not from hey buddy you're on the top of my freelance list never heard from them so we ended up working with a lot of design firms not design firms but clients that was in the uh, electronic business LPAC electronics uh, dana laboratories but most of them were in orange county you know, in Orange County in LA was like, uh, you know, another part of the world. And we eventually got so much work from there. We were working in LA. We opened up an office in Orange County. So Brad worked out of Orange County and I worked here in LA. So we were just a two-man shop, but we came together working, trying to do the best work we could. And that's where we came up with the ideas of self-promotion, which uh, you might have seen our posters with the KKK saying for discrimination, design, discriminating design firm that specialize in uh, annual reports and all of these join our Clavering, which is our office, which is, uh, and we always use the theme of Boston and Boston equal opportunity designers. and. Our joke was, since we designed our logo type, we wanted to use a typeface that was sort of like, everybody in design knew, but most people didn't know. So we chose the typeface Jim Crow, which was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, So our little joke was, here are these black guys using their logo type, which is Jim Crow. (laughs) So that was our sort of inside joke. And we wanted to be patriotic, so we put the Boston uh, in red, and then the blue uh, with uh, the other Boston. And then in between, there was black type, which is uh, for the ampersand. So we were making a statement that here we are, two black guys in America, and that's the symbology that we came up with for the Boston and Boston uh, logo type. So that was sort of like our inside joke. A lot of the designers got it, you know, and they was, it was so much fun and, and it was <laughs> chosen for the local shows and all that stuff, but it was sort of like our inside joke. And I've always done work like that, you know, things that were not kind of offensive, but then when you read it, the story is, It's like taking a negative and turn it into a positive. But the negative is to get your attention. And then in the message, if you keep writing in the message, it will turn into a positive and end with a positive. So, and if you don't get it, then I really don't want to work with you because you're probably not that smart anyway. So So that was the feeling that I had as far as, the kind of work that I've done over the years. And if you look at my work on Pinterest, uh, you'll see a, a variety of things that I've done, Christmas cards, posters, announcements, uh, just things that were in me that I had to to get out of my system.
0: And I always tell people that you have to entertain yourself first. Absolutely. And, 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 it, and it, it's very apparent with your self-promotional work that you guys were looking at yourself which is which which I think is why it comes across
1: well right and also I felt like if someone saw what we were doing and they didn't want to work with us they knew out front who we were and what we stood for and they had a choice of not working with us or working with us but you'd be surprised how many people said hell with that those guys are good and I'm going to work with them and they deliver you know we never miss a deadline we we're all boys on time for a meeting, you know, and we were very professional and clients appreciated that. But after a while, I kind of got tired because I got married in 1967 and uh, my high school sweetheart. And when she moved out from Florida, Brad wanted to work on weekends, you know, and I wanted to be home on weekends. Sure. So that was our slight disagreement and it started blowing up bigger and bigger. And then until the time I said enough. I'm going to spend time with my wife, I'm getting out of this and I'm going to do what I wanna do. So that was the marriage, the wanting to go back into advertising and all of this. And I took, I stayed in advertising for eight and a half years, working as an art director, working on commercials, large bank, Varian and Associates, the California Raising Advisory Board, and a lot of West Yamaha and a lot of West Coast accounts. And I sort of documented that in my book, Flying the Buttermilk, which uh, is out of print now, it's not yeah, really. Out. What,
0: I was going to ask go you. Ahead. You mentioned your book. I did try to locate it, but it's it's not. I mean, it, it's it's flying the Buttermilk, and it was written thirty years ago.
1: It was written in uh, 2001.
0: Oh, two thousand one. Oh, sorry, nineteen years ago, twenty <laughs> yeah. years ago. But yeah. uh, but it's 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 not necessarily. Where 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 do you recommend people to go to find it if they want to if they want to? Uh, well,
1: it? I. I sold all except 300 copies and I have 300 copies that I sort of kept back for my collection. Sure. And I might I think maybe within the next 2 months I might sell maybe about a couple of hundreds because I don't really need that much. I'm getting older now and I want to downsize so sure. <laughs> I sold I sold my house in Florida and I brought the, all the junk from there back to LA. And gave a lot away and now i have those books that i've been holding on in the garage thinking well maybe now's the time to uh, get rid of some of them so probably within the next two or three months after this aiga lifetime achievement award hoopla which i'm yeah. going through now uh, i will probably maybe put them on ebay or or somewhere anywhere other than amazon because i had them on amazon but the reason why i took them off is because Amazon was making all the money, and I wasn't making anything because their percentage was 55 percent compared to, and I received 45 percent. Oh, geez! But the cost of that, I had to send them the books, which cost me three dollars to send. So I ended up making like seven dollars per book, and they were making like eighteen. And I thought something is wrong with this picture. And I did that for years because I didn't care. But then when I thought about how I was taken advantage of, that's when I stopped selling them. And that was a couple of years ago. But they, are, and I told them, but they are still running, they're still sending me announcements and saying that you received an order here, you received an order there. I still receive about two or three orders, but I'm not going to, to go through them because uh, I would rather go, and I don't really need the money, but I'd rather go somewhere where I can make a bigger profit than with Amazon. But I will let you know uh, when uh, and where that where I decide to go.
0: Where do, where do if if people want to follow, like, where do you recommend them to do so?
1: Well, I'm on LinkedIn and I've been on that for years. I've been on Facebook. Well, I just <laughs> I was on Facebook and then I I closed my account when I heard that you know, somebody hacked their, <laughs> their sure. uh, list. And, and I was off for about two or three years and I just open up my account again uh, about a week ago. And I was afraid of what will happen because I taught for 33 years and now all of the students who I was not in touch with see me back on Amazon. So I'm being inundated with these, hello, welcome back. And I thought <laughs> this is what I was trying to get away from. And now, <laughs> but now, you know, I'm kind of uh, amenable to, to responding to their Requests are there, you know what they are doing and all of that stuff, and uh, there are relatives who really want to sort of stay in touch too. Sure. So I've decided to get back on Facebook.
0: And we, and I do have to mention congratulations on the big AIGA hoopla you mentioned. Um, oh, thank you for for those listeners who don't know, Archie Boston is one of the 2021 AIGA medalists, which is which is the graphic design lifetime achievement award, or I mean, it's the biggest award that's in our profession. Right. So this is a this is a big deal.
1: Yeah, I was a uh, uh, what did they call it a uh, fellow <laughs> yeah I was yeah, elected a, a fellow quite a few years ago the fellow Maybe. no
0: yeah and for those for those who aren't real familiar each of the I think there's 72-ish chapters right now right have the have the options some do some don't give out fellowship mm-hmm. awards right and that's and that's given out by the local but the 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 national AIGA medal they've been giving those out for about a hundred years and right they don't give out a lot of them I like, know they've been giving out more. I think when they started, they gave out like one, maybe two a year and the profession's right. a lot larger, but mm-hmm. even now they only give out like half a dozen a year. And this is a yes. big profession. So it's a right. huge deal.
1: Yeah. I know they gave it to uh, one of my instructors, uh, Lou Danziger and Lou was sort of like my idol. You know, he achieved a lot of things during the time that I was in school. And I always thought I want to be like Lou, not only like Brad, my older brother, but Lou Danziger. You sure. know, he influenced my conceptual thinking. He influenced the, the the idea of coming up with a concept and then designing it, you know, to the best of your ability and then executing it in a way that is unique or interesting. Pay attention to details, which I've always done, you know. And but I don't think that it was marketing or research was emphasized as much as it is now which is good, but I've always sort of done my research and I try to target my audience because I learned a lot of this from advertising way back, you know, and I've also worked with PR firms. So I know how to do news release and all of these things. uh, So I can do the whole gamut. And that is what I did when I published my books. I self-published my books because I didn't want to go to a publisher because I knew I would get turned down. So I thought I'm a designer, you know, I can write, you know, I can take photographs if I need to, and my work is here, so why not publish a book? I've designed brochures, I've designed books, so I would publish books, but uh, and I would recommend anyone who thinks that that work is a merit and you want it to be around for a while to self-publish your own book. And it's much easier now because there's so many companies that can help you when I published my book, there were some, but the cost was so expensive. I thought I could do that myself.
0: And, and actually, uh, you, you mentioned this Do that. I think our next guest, we, we're having back on Justin Kemmerling. He's a local designer here in Omaha, and he mm-hmm. just self-published his own book, and I think he's just doing them through blurb. Oh, so, right. because it because, right. because you can actually publish just like, oh, you want 100 copies, you can get 100 copies.
1: Absolutely. Print and order.
0: Even, even when your book came out 20 years ago, that wouldn't no. That wasn't really a possibility. They'd be like, well, no you can way. have 100 copies. They're $1,000 each.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what you do is increase the quantity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then have some sit in your your garage. But I sold a lot of books because, you know, I had students. And I, of course, recommended my book as a requirement for a book. So I sold a lot that way. And I also, but a lot of time I sold the books. But it wasn't for profit. You know, I, I set up a scholarship fund you know, at Cal State University, Long Beach, where I taught for 33 years. And I used the money to give scholarships because the university, I, I wrote the book on, while I was on sabbatical. And while I was on sabbatical, it was a sabbatical project. So I thought I was paid to write this book. So I don't want to keep the money. I want to give it back to the students. So sure. the, the proceeds that I received from the books, I gave it, I set up a scholarship fund, which was Archie Boston Graphic Design Scholarship. And uh, I gave $1,000 per semester. And we did this for 10 years until I, till after I retired. But I, I felt like the students are very important to me. They always have been important. And I always felt like students, uh, in a lot of times are being screwed People are taking that money and they don't have that much. So we need to help them. So when I set up the internship program at Cal State Long Beach, I wanted to, and I also contacted companies and told them, give them something, you know, just don't take free labor, but they are going to help you make money. So give them a little something at the end. You know, it could be a stipend or whatever you want to call it, but give them something to let them know that that work is important. And this has been my philosophy over the years. I've hired part-time students in between jobs in my studio. I give them what I would give any freelancer because they needed the money. And to me, when you do that, when you give of yourself and you're not selfish, more come back to you. And this is what I've learned over the years. And now I'm in sort of like the twilight of my years. So the older you get, the more spiritual you become. So. (laughs) sure. I'm sort of there now.
0: <laughs> I I agree with that. I think I think that's good that's great advice. Well, what's the what's the biggest change you've seen like in the last 20 years or even before then, since you've been in this profession? And which and what do you think uh both good and bad?
1: Well, I think the biggest change for me is uh that I see is social media and how you can when what you can do and how you can manipulate it to your advantage. Uh social media is can be, a good, can be very good, but it also can be a curse. But as a graphic designer, you have to be very careful because a lot of the work that I did back then, uh, it won't sell now because it's not politically correct. And you have to kind of walk that fine line of correctness. And I've seen that change over the years. When I worked as a designer, I didn't give a damn. You know, I was gonna do what I wanted to do, And I didn't care about people saying negative things about me or doing all of this other stuff. But the reason why I could do it is because I was in academia and I had tenure. Sure. So that was my base. I couldn't be fired. So I could do and I could say anything I wanted to. But you can't even do that in academia now because you get fired. But back then, the things that I did was not something like uh, that was criminal. It was just an expression, freedom of expression. And this is what I think is very important. And this is what we are losing now, that freedom of expression, whether it's positive or negative. Everybody shouldn't be saying the same thing. We should say what we feel, but we also have to take into consideration other people's feelings. And that is where the fine line. Sensitivity, people are becoming more and more sensitive. Just treat people like you would want to be treated respect women, you know, respect minorities, respect everybody, and then you'll receive the respect. But if you want to be a bully, (laughs) somewhere down the line, you're going to fall, you know. And from a design point of view, I've worked with a lot of bullies, supervisors, and those bullies, when they lost their job and and came came looking to me for work, and I'm thinking, this is the same person who didn't give me a job. When I was working as an art director and here he is now coming to me, wanting me to give him work, but guess what? I gave him work because that's the right thing to do to help people out. And in that case, then you don't have any regrets about what I should have or could have or would have done. You, you're helping people. And this is what is important. Now, even with social media, you have to think positive. You have to be positive. And during this pandemic, If you're not, then something is wrong, you know? What happened to your spirituality? This is graphic design, but is there no spirituality in design? Why do we say, okay, this is design, not religion? No, it's not, (laughs) you know? Because the greatest designer that we know was created, created the world. It's God. God created the world. Look at what you see around you. That is design. That is art. And then you're ignoring all of that. And you should be concentrating on that and using your inner being and your spirituality to help you design better and help you to be a better person. And this is what I'm all about. And this is what I try to focus on. I, I'll start with that because I don't want to keep going on that tangent. Sure. But you asked a question and I have to get back to your question about how things have changed over the past 21 years, computer graphics, you know, the internet, you know, all of these elements are very important, you know, from a design point of view, because it gives you a broad spectrum. What I don't like is what was done with our programs. You know, how now you have to rent them. And before we used to buy them and use our discs, but now you have to rent them for a certain amount of time. So, you're paying more now to use the equipment than you did back then when you could keep it for years. So why did nobody protest that? You know,
0: I think, I think there was some backlash on it. Um, I think (laughs) there still is people. I still hear people talk about it that because I'm like, I am paying a monthly fee for, you know, my Adobe creative suite. From my perspective, it was actually in a way it was less because we used to, when I, when I, Started buying the software. You'd have to buy that in the Macromedia suite, and there's more. Right, and it seems like so now. There's only half the software that there was, which right. in that way makes it
1: <laughs> right.
0: But the key is, is if I don't need it for like six months, I still got to pay for it.
1: Right. And before you could put it in your wherever you wanted to, and uh, pull it out when you needed it. But again, that's another change that has taken place over the past twenty years. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. But somebody's making money and you're paying for it. So, you know, uh, if you're you're making money, you can write it off. If you're not making money, (laughs) you are hurting. So it's like either, I've always made money. So I I don't, I, I think about other people rather than myself because personally, I'm never, other than in school, I've never had a financial problem, but I think about other people. I think about students primarily, because I've taught with them for 33 years. So my own, my thinking is always about what's best for my students, what, what best for these young people who are going out into profession and trying to establish themselves. <laughs> with this portfolio review with AIGA, I've been doing it for two years. And I, I looked at a portfolio of a student from Nigeria, and she was showing me her work and the work is very nice. And she was saying, but I had to pay this fee, <laughs> and I was saying, really I said it wasn't free. She said no, I had to pay a certain amount, and I'm saying, why? Well, because of the administration of the program, you know, but sometimes you you need to 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 eat those kind of costs and make it as cheap as possible for students because they want it and they need it, and they don't have the money that we are making professionally. So give the students a break. Don't charge them a whole lot of money, but charge them a minimal amount, which is very helpful.
0: Yeah. And I and know the the place I teach at, they were having issues and I, and I don't, I'm, I'm just adjunct uh, <laughs> over at the, the, the community college here. And <laughs> so I don't, I'm, I'm not in on any of these decision-making <laughs> problems, but I know they had issues with the, with everything being closed down and nobody <laughs> being in classrooms. A lot right. of the kids the, the software is, it's tied to that computer. It's Absolutely. Not, and so all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're going to be, you have to do everything at home and the software's, well, it's not at your home.
1: That's right. And it hurts. It hurts. Uh, you know, I always taught at a major university. So sometimes there are resources, but everybody is sort of fighting for that amount of money. So you can just get so much. So you really have to go out and ask Adobe uh, companies to give you a student discount, which they do, and which is very helpful. And in some cases, you know, the programs have to raise money to help each other out, but they can't do it now because this is a pandemic. And there's so much going on in the last two and a half years, everybody is trying to adjust to this, this new norm, which eventually I hope will pass.
0: I also hope so. I don't. I, don't I, I I would have guessed it would have passed by now, but it, obviously it has not. So yeah, 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 we're gonna be right back with Archie Boston. Hey, welcome back, Archie. So I I know you've you've been retired. You've had a great career. Obviously, you're getting a lifetime achievement award. Is there anything you still work on? Is there anything that draws you back into design? Uh, what
1: I usually do is. Uh, Uh, sometimes political posters. Uh, I encourage people to vote, and I have vote posters that I've been working on. Since I retired, I also worked with my brother, not Brad, but I have another brother in between Brad and I, who worked as a producer and a director for a television station. So he and I teamed up to do a documentary on the uh, Black, Pioneers of the Sunshine City. The Sunshine City is St. Petersburg, Florida, where we grew up. Okay. So I so I thought, you know, I'm I get bored real easy. So I thought, oh, he wanted to do a documentary. And the reason why he wanted to do the documentary is because I wrote another book, which is a uh, Little Colored Rascals in the Sunshine City, about me growing up in Florida. So that was my second book that I have sold online through Amazon. So, (laughs) so he read the book and he thought, well, we should, maybe we should do a documentary on, on St. Petersburg. And I thought, well, you know, I'm retired and I'd spent a lot of time. I just finished this other book and he was saying it would be great. Then he convinced me because I was about ready to sell my house in Florida in 19, uh, 2015. But he said, uh, "Well, let's do it." So I thought, "Well, I'll wait a couple of years, and and we'll put this thing together and and get some fi- financing to help us with it." So, but I told him it's going to be difficult in Saint Petersburg. A lot of people want things for free. So, <laughs> if you're going to try to go and get a donation, good luck. I know because I sold paintings and I sold books. But he said, "No, it's not like that." So I said, "Okay, I'll." I'll help you so we started on our project you know we wrote a script and we put everything together and we went to companies to try to get funding and they said no we don't, we don't fund those kind of things <laughs> so we decided well okay sis so you won't fund it we'll find out we'll self-fund it so that's what we did and we interviewed about I think about 15 people talking about growing up in Florida and they were during the time of, of the 60s to uh, I think 1955 through 1970 so we took that period of time because that's when we were very active I lived there, so we put together the documentary and. The University of South Florida, you know, gave us and, and St Pete uh, the city gave us the use of their television station and we sort of interviewed the people put it all together. It wasn't exactly the way we wanted because we wanted to go to the people's homes and interview them. Sure. But because of the limitation we had to change, but it, it came together and uh we published it. And uh it's now shown regionally in Florida every year during Black History Month on KCET. And it has been shown since we finished it, which was in 2018, I think. And that is one of my major projects. And, and one of my most satisfying one, because I worked with a brother that I've never worked with before. And we clicked, you know, he had things that he brought to the table, I had my design ability, and we were both impressed with each other. And we, it wasn't like being two designers working together. It was like two different people coming from different areas, coming together with the creative product. And, and we just had a ball
0: yeah sometimes you get those projects and if everybody's a designer it sometimes it works but most of the time it's it's hard so so it's nice that you have someone that brings other other things
1: and then we could write and we could think but as far as putting it together there was a graduate student at the university of south florida his name was sean falk and uh he helped us you know he volunteered to help us and that guy was so good he was he helped us you know with the production all the way until the end you know and if it wasn't for him from a production point of view we couldn't have gotten it done because kcet wanted to they wanted the documentary but they didn't want to help us produce it they wanted us to produce it and give it to them which we which we did do for the community but uh that is one of my other projects that i really uh was very happy about since i i retired so Mm -hmm. i wrote Another book, since I retired, I designed posters, Christmas cards, uh, all kind of things, political posters. Recently, yeah, even up to two weeks ago, uh, I yeah, just there's, there's designed there's been a few one.
0: political things going on in the last few years. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, few. right. Just one or two. One or two I've heard Yeah, about. right. They've made the news. Yeah, but anyway, uh, I enjoy it. You know, sometimes things just come to me creatively. I don't really go out to to look for clients and for work because I'm 78 years old. You know, I shouldn't even be doing this now. But I love it so much and I'm so curious about things and I want to speak out about uh injustice or if they're a good thing, not just on negative but positive, you know, which is good. I I designed some posters uh about religion, you know. I, I just thought looking at some images of the cross and stuff like that you know I start getting tripping off that <laughs> and I when I trip off something I have to design I have to put it on paper so I've designed posters related to that I I even went so far you know I just don't start with the design you know I have a view of the the basin of LA which I'm looking at now you know and there's a Hollywood sign on the other side of the, the city and then I'm on this side of the hill and So I decided, okay, I'm going to uh, put a cross (laughs) on my deck, (laughs) nine feet by six feet, (laughs) and then put a light around it. So every night I turn on the cross, and you'd be surprised, you know, people coming down the main avenue and then they look over this way and then they they see this cross and they get off the main driveway, driveway and then they come down the hill and take pictures of the cross from my deck. And I didn't know that was happening, but my neighbor down the street was telling me, hey, don't you know that people are coming down, parking in, on our street and taking pictures of your cross? I said, I didn't know that, Well, maybe I should turn it off. And he said, no, no, don't do it. You know." So a couple of months later, he came in and gave me an envelope. I said, well, what is this for? He said, I'm I'm just giving you some money to help you pay your light bill. <laughs> 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 Please keep the cross.
0: <laughs> I assume it's LED, so I assume the light bill's not as bad as it's be. Okay, they, yeah. are,
1: they are LED and they're like Christmas lights around the cross. And I thought, geez, it has it influenced him that much? And I guess so. So I was only going to use it during the holiday season and then turn it off, but. Since he said it was so meaningful to him, uh, I kept it on and for four hours in the evening it comes on. And but that's another one of my projects that it's sort of on the side, but it's a it started with a cross on paper and then it became a symbol that is out there, you know, <laughs> on my deck.
0: I, I love hearing that the creativity doesn't just stop when you retire. And that, no. and, that and that this is because this is one of those professions I think where it's like. You, you get into it for whatever reason and you don't even if right. you completely leave it you don't really leave it
1: no no because you think you see you solve problems and there's i think graphic design is such a, a wonderful profession because it's been good to me over the years i've i've enjoyed every well other than the frustration i've enjoyed every minute of it i enjoy working I enjoyed clients, I enjoyed putting my ideas down and then becoming excited, excited about it. Even if the client doesn't like it or it doesn't win an award, it's just that it excites me. And every time I look at it, it's like, that's my baby. I love it. And somebody might look at it and say, what's wrong with you, you're tripping. I said, no, I'm not. It's just that this is a part of me that is out there on paper and I enjoy seeing it. You know. And if you don't get excited about what you do, every time you see it, then something is wrong with you. Well, maybe something is wrong with me, but that's how I feel about my work. You know, even work that I've done in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, I I really look at that and say, wow, that, well, maybe the, the kerning isn't quite right, but, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and that's what I think is so wonderful about graphic design and what we do. You can look back, and see what you have accomplished and you say, oh, this is great. Now they're giving me a lifetime achievement award. And I'm thinking, well, that should have been done 10 years ago. So <laughs> yeah. so, so why now when I'm 78, you know? Well, well to okay.
0: be, what I tell people to be fair now, now it's probably been, from, from AIGA's perspective, I don't even think they thought designers were outside of New York 20 years ago. Oh, so. right. <laughs> So that, I think that could be a lot of it. They're like, well, that's you're true. not from New York. It yeah. doesn't even
1: count. Yeah. Well, I think when you look at the recipients, if there's no New York connections, then it's, hey, buddy, uh, I'll yeah. see you later. Yeah. But th- that is changing now because... uh It's you know, been changing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a good thing. So uh they're sort of recognizing the rest of the country, you know, and I think your podcast and a lot of the... Things that are being done in the profession helps that too, you know. Right, well, and thanks. the changes at the top helps too.
0: Yeah. Well, Archie, thank you so much for your time.
1: You're welcome. Um, it's,
0: it's been a pleasure, and, and hopefully, same when I, here. And, and when when is the big ceremony? Are they doing now? They, uh, used, to, they used to do a separate one in the spring, but obviously uh-huh. it's all virtual.
1: Yeah. This so, one is uh, September the twentieth. So
0: September they're moving the it. They're moving through it
1: through the 24th.
0: So it's going to be part of the national conference. National conference, national
1: conference. Okay. and it's going to be virtual. And uh, I think they will honor each one of us. And th- I think there will also be a video that they will show of people talking about us, uh, which should be interesting. And yeah. also <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also, uh, there will be a question and answer period for the recipients, which okay. I look forward to. Oh, I forgot to tell you that my work is also at uh, Stanford University Collection and also uh, my the majority of my work is at duke university they are the only two people that ask for well, when they asked me i gave it to them so all of my work from academia to my graphics are not here anymore
0: i guess it's one more one less thing in your garage you have to worry about that
1: absolutely cleaning house <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you okay you're welcome
0: the Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Miri is hosted at 36point.com.
1: Music by Dust Lab.